the size of Scotland and, and some of its local authorities, they can be quite representative of a bigger market. So it's a nice testing ground for things. It's almost like a microcosm of what a, bit, a bigger area is, is going to be like. And, and it's been really good to be able to, to test things like that. Today is Burns Night, a night where traditionally Scots celebrate the poetry of Robert Burns. And we're taking that as a prompt to celebrate all things Scottish and the CivTech programme. We are heading north of the border to bring you three interviews. Uh, one with Sue McGee, the CEO of Flexible Childcare Services Scotland. Then we're talking to Mary Hayata, who's actually the CEO and co-founder of Sidot, and she's based in Finland, but is working in Scotland. And lastly, Andrew Bone, the CEO and co-founder of Dayshape. Plenty of insight on today's show, your weekly technology podcast brought to you by the Harvey Nash Group, hosted by myself, David Savage. So today is Burns Night, the night where traditionally people celebrate the poetry of Rabbi Burns uh, and have a Burns Night supper. Akish, mm. most en- English person I could possibly find for this segment. <laughs> Have you ever done? Have you ever had haggis? Have you ever had a Burns supper? I have had haggis. Um, yeah. It wasn't part of Burns night, but I have had it, and uh, I thought it was toilet. To be honest. Oh God! What a way to start building <laughs> relations with our friends north. Of the sorry, sorry. Uh, it was great. It was great. It was very, was very nice. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, what a preference, isn't it? I'm not saying Scottish people are toilet. Um, no, I'm, I'm glad no. that you're not. Yeah, I like Scotland. I like Scottish people. Um, yeah, man. Dated a, dated a Scottish girl once, so oh, 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 I'm all go. about it. I well, like look, Braveheart. <laughs> I don't think that's very accurate, but okay. Uh, so, so look, I just had a quick look online at Don't Leave Scotland Without Trying These Delicacies. Um, haggis, number one, is some other stuff. Uh, fresh fish, absolutely. Fresh fish in Scotland, amazing. Lobster, yep. yep. Grouse, yep. Love that game. Cullen skink. I've never heard of Cullen Skink in my life. Neither have I. Apparently, mm. it's a classic, classic, classic. Try to do a Sean Connery accent accidentally. Mm. Uh, it's a Scottish soup with smoke haddock, potatoes, and leeks. Sounds all right. Could Sounds be right. right. Yeah. Cured meat and cheese. Well, I thought yeah. that was Spanish, but okay. Gin. I didn't realise gin was a Scottish. Gin is mm. created in Scotland, are plentiful and wonderful. So there we go. Uh, Whiskey, whiskey, obviously, yeah, yeah. obviously, yeah. porridge, yeah, and yeah. shortbread. Oh, shortbread, beautiful! Everyone loves a bit of shortbread. Yeah, yeah, very, very good. That no, no deep fried Mars bars on there though. Mm, that's very true. Or uh, Iron Brew. No, which came to international fame, didn't it? When uh, um, the, basically with the with the COP twenty six and. Mm. Uh, yeah, lots lots of international folk trying Iron Brew for the first time. I like Iron Brew, I have to say. Big fan. Mm, hit or miss. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Again, most English oh. man on, on the planet, not, <laughs> not a big fan. No, whiskey I'm a fan of. There you go. We could go all, all night drinking whiskey. Well, I mean, yeah. I'd, I'd like to think I can go all night drinking whiskey. Yeah, but, uh, a, a, a nice West Coast PC single, single malt? Yeah, something like that, yeah. Or... Uh... <laughs> Oh yeah, I'm just trying to think. Yeah, man, like yeah, it's it's decent. It's decent. Some of the um, exports out of there are good. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Well, we'll not delve and see how much you know. Um, we'll we'll leave it there. 
I used to I used to love whiskey. Now I can't drink. It's a bit of a shitter. I'll be perfectly honest with you. On my stag do, we went to a whiskey distillery for a tour, and mm. uh, now I can't touch the stuff. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what I do like is um, is Talisker. Talisker right, okay. is very very okay. good. Single Scotch. Um, yeah, I was, I was a fan of Carlisle or Lagavulin. Mm. I've, I've I've tried that. Very, very decent, that is. Anyway, rather than this turning into an appreciation of whiskey, we'll (laughs) hand over to the first interview. Um, As I mentioned in the intro, three coming your way. The first one is Sue McGee. She is CEO of Flexible Childcare Services Scotland. Myself and Akish will be back in a moment. So joining me today, I'm lucky to be talking to Susan. Uh, Susan McGee, you are the CEO of Flexible Childcare Services in Scotland, or Services Scotland. (laughs) Don't need to add an extra in him. Um, how are you today? Good, thank you. Yeah, it's a beautiful sunny day in Scotland, so yeah, all good. I'm very jealous. It's it's bright in London, but it's I don't know. I'm I'm from the northeast of England, so the, the borders and there is a definite <laughs> difference in the quality of light. I always think in the sky. Um, the further north you go, yeah. Um, well, look. Thank you for taking some time to talk to us. Before we get into anything else, do you just want to explain about a little bit about the work of, of FCSS? Okie doke. So Flexible Childcare Services Scotland is a relatively young organisation. We set up as a registered charity on a social enterprise basis really in 2019 and began trading at the beginning of 2020. We aim to create equity and access to early learning and school childcare services. So we find that um, for some children and families, uh, it works really well, the existing model with the sort of set days and hours of service, um, private sector services where people have to book full days or half days and, and have a committed pattern works well for some families but for families in lower income jobs or less reliable employment that can be really really difficult and, and it can form a barrier to people getting back to work so our mission is to create equity of access so to designing a model that's more flexible that doesn't have those same cost barriers if you need three hours of care you pay for three hours of care you don't pay for an eight hour day um uh, and and things like that and we don't charge deposits or upfront front fees either so we know that sometimes when people are going back to work uh, they haven't had the chance to build up that money to put a deposit um down on a place so we'll let them pay at the end of that month and and it's just about uh, empowering families really and and creating the, the best opportunities for all children so I suppose through the course of the last two years with COVID as well, there have been an increasing amount of people where that lack of reliability and a need for something flexible is it's only been exacerbated, I, I would imagine. It absolutely has. However, our timing um, well, it wasn't wonderful launching just before um, COVID because there as one of the COVID mitigations, I suppose, and controls, uh, there were restrictions on the the groups of children that could be together mm. so, so it had to be very static in some ways so uh, we we responded to that by flexing our model to provide childcare for the critical key workers through the worst part of the uh, pandemic and we sort of kept in touch with the broader sector building up registered numbers of providers on our flexible childcare software to try and um, support them to to move into a more flexible model and, and now certainly as parents are 
going back to work, children are back in school, people are moving back to using more childcare. There is a definite move towards I don't need a full week or I don't need five full mornings because I actually work at home those couple of days or I don't need after school care every day of the week because the days I work at home, my child can come home at half three um, and they can be playing in the garden or the street with their friends if they want to do that. Mm. So, so people are demanding a different service from the childcare sector and it's a sector that hasn't changed for a long time so um, it's, it's ripe for it I think. This might be a really dumb question for a reason that I can't fathom right now but why Flexible Childcare Services Scotland and not Flexible Childcare Services UK? Um, I suppose we, we started with what we know and, and where we're uh, where our experiences, where we have the networks and the connections to work with the local authorities, uh, work with the team at Scottish Government. We, our first piece of work, and in fact still um, a proportion of our work is supported and part funded by the Social Innovation Partnership. And that's a collaboration between the Scottish Government and the Hunter Foundation. Uh, and, and that sort of, that is funding for, for Scotland. Um, uh, so, so we do... Oh, sort of on the horizon, we ha- we have rest of UK sort of out there in our business planning um, and our and our modelling. Because if the model works for Scotland, then of course the model will work for other um, locations across the rest of the the UK. It also work for other locations further afield than that. And we've spent some time uh, with childcare providers from some European services and actually from New Zealand as well, advising them on how they can be more flexible. Um, in delivery of their services so that there is an interest worldwide in a changing model of childcare as as people's working patterns and lifestyles change I think. It's, it's interesting that you mentioned about changing patterns in in, in lifestyles and, and working patterns. I, I'd be interested to know how you're using technology perhaps to deliver some services if there is an element of I don't know whether there can be remote childcare I'm not entirely sure but because I kind of think of Scotland and you think of we think of Glasgow and Edinburgh and you think of that that corridor of of densely populated areas yeah and then you obviously have a completely different set of challenges i suppose for those people who live further up the country um into the highlands where it's remote communities and i suppose a completely different set of challenges you do um and and some of that you mean we we can't have remote childcare as such, you can't be watching a child through through a, a video camera or setting them down in oh, front no. of a screen. That's, that's just not the way it works. Um, but but we can look at how how we manage those services and software came into it through, through that point of view, really. Other providers saying to us, well, I'd like to be more flexible. My clients would like me to be more flexible. I don't really know how to do that and I don't know how to manage that and how do I plan my staffing for that and all, and all of those kind of things. So uh, in response to that, we built uh, a piece of software and a parent app around being able to to book flexible sessions, um, and it allowed providers to to manage staff rotas. Um, it enabled the, the the workforce to to work flexibly as well to say, well, I'm available Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday this week. I'm available whichever days it might be the following week, uh, and that that's been a really useful piece of technology. Um, that's what's formed this was the base for the piece of work that we've done through CivTech as well uh, mm-hmm. around school age childcare, which has followed on from that. But, but I suppose addressing your question about the, the sort of rural and urban areas, 
in in response to that, we've looked at things like um, pop up. So so some of the the work we do in uh, Aberdeenshire, um, some of the rural areas around there for eligible two year olds. So two year olds that would be entitled to a funded place for some early learning um, and childcare hours. But there aren't enough in the area that they live in to to justify having a permanent service. Um, so we have a, a mobile crash registration and we're able to have pop up services, basically, um, where there'll be a couple of days a week where the services can operate in those areas. So those children are getting some access to to those services. So so there, there are ways around almost all of the challenges. You, you mentioned CivTech. Yeah. Um, uh, for anyone who's not familiar, CivTech uh, talk about the fact that they're driving daring um, and, and innovation in the public sector by uh, collaboratively, collaboratively sorry, solving challenges to make people's lives better. They had a number of challenges um, of which you won one of those challenges. So, so challenge six, understanding supply and demand of school-aged children, as you, as you mentioned, sponsored by um, SG Early Learning and, and Child Care uh, Directorate. How... How rewarding is it to win something like that and to be recognised by external bodies? I suppose well, winning is always rewarding in its own right, isn't it? Particularly if you've got a competitive streak. So, so that's good. We like that. Um, however, uh, being able to respond to something like that, I think uh, when we're, we're very much embedded in that sector we're working and we're delivering the service, we're, we're supporting other providers that are delivering the services and we know that what's happening at the moment isn't meeting everyone's needs so it's great to hear the the team at Scottish Government recognise that and say okay we've we've done the the early learning piece so we've looked at the nursery we've created the extended funded hours that's brilliant now we need to look at the older children the school-aged children and they made a commitment in Programme for Government to create a wraparound system of school-aged childcare uh, and that, that they obviously haven't written the policy around that and they don't understand quite yet how that's going to work. But to enable to, them to understand that they needed more information about what's happening at the moment um, and, and how how children are being cared for after school. How are they accessing activities? Why does football training not start till six o'clock if the children finish at three o'clock? Um, mm-hmm. Are granny and granddad being relied on certain days of the week? Uh, and there's very little consistent representative information out there so there's lots of studies but to to represent urban rural uh different types of providers different needs of families that there really wasn't enough out there so so the challenge in essence was a data challenge um scottish government needed information to enable them to understand um what's happening at the moment so that that can then help shape policy and create a better system. So that's hugely rewarding knowing that the system at the moment isn't quite working for for people. And there's some children and families whose life could be really different if they were able to access Mm -hmm. some of these services, um, but they don't know about it or they think it's not for them. And, And if we can contribute in some way to providing the information that enables that system to be developed, uh, and then beyond that, we can expand our system to make it a sustainable business that manages some of that. Then, I mean, it's a win-win situation, really. Everybody's a winner in that one. So whilst FCSS is a collection of, of, of experts, you mentioned that the organisation is is a relatively young organisation. How useful has it been to be able to perhaps tap into the networks of CivTech, into other uh 
award winners, even if they're working in slightly different areas and kind of lean on each other? Is that something that's happened? Because um, it, it kind of feels that over the course of the last two years, some organisations have been kept quite separate. And, and I suppose it's, it's, an, it's a wonderful opportunity now with these things happening to kind of come together a little bit more. Yeah, it's been a fantastic opportunity, actually, around, around that kind of thing. Um, our organisation, we, we are a childcare organisation. That, that's our background. We're, we're innovative and we try to push boundaries, but we are a childcare organisation. Um, so we, we work with a technical partner to, to deliver the, the technical development side of, uh, of our uh, work. Um, but, but we've really explored all of that through the CivTech process too. And we'd, we'd always thought that somewhere down the line, we might set up a separate organisation for our training, um, for our software, sorry, um, to, to run through. And we've really, we've been able to explore that in depth through conversations with the, with the CivTech team, through some of the, the business modelling sessions and, and the different things that we've done as part of the CivTech process. And we're actually now just in the process of registering a trading subsidiary um, called Keras, which is the name of our software named after the God of Opportunity. Um, I, and that will be the, the vehicle basically for, for delivery of our uh, solutions to challenges experienced by the childcare sector and the children and families that, that use it. So although we we're a relatively new organisation as a childcare company, we'll be a brand new organisation as a tech company. Um, but we bring our subject matter expertise about childcare into into that. So so all of the different sessions that CivTech have run, um, you, you, some of them we get the invitation through and think. I, probably know that anyway but but yeah we'll go along and actually some of them have been really quite um revelatory I suppose so it, it makes you reconsider the way you do some things and and even just the opportunities to connect with some of the other um teams that are bidding on other challenges and they've won places um for some of the other challenges and and go out to them with questions anybody know something about this can you help about that and being able to help each other it's yeah, it's different, and people, techie people, think differently from childcare people. So it's been really interesting, actually. I thoroughly enjoyed it. As somebody that went into this sector well, thirty odd years ago to work with children, this is c completely different. But it's it's delightful. It's really good fun. So look, as someone that's reasonably new to the technology market, just as a last question, what do you think? What do you think Scotland as an environment offers? technologists, innovation, collaboration, perhaps the other areas um, of the UK or even Europe might not provide? Okay. I think we are quite innovative as a, as a people. We, we we're sort of quite willing to to try something different. Um, yeah, I, I don't see that hesitancy and that, oh, we don't do it that way around here sort of attitude um, through anybody that I, yeah, I come across in conversations. So I think that's really good. But also the... the the size of Scotland and, and some of its local authorities, they can be quite representative of a bigger market. So it's a nice testing ground for things. It's almost like a microcosm of what a, bit, a bigger area is, is going to be like. And, and it's been really good to be able to to test things like that. And and the teams at Scottish Government are, are really 
personable and accessible and, and willing to have those conversations and approachable you we can go and say oh but we think we've got a better idea about that can we have a chat about it or we know you're experiencing a challenge around or this sector is experiencing a challenge around can we have a talk about potential solutions um so, so those kind of things i think that there's something something special about Scotland. I wasn't born in Scotland, but I love Scotland. <laughs> now that I wouldn't have guessed with your accent. Well, there you go. I, I was only six when the family moved to, to Scotland, <laughs> but I'm from Manchester originally. So. Well, a, full, a full convert now. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, look, thank you very much for your time. And it's a pleasure to, to find out about the work that you're doing. Wonderful. It's been great. Thank you. Now, the, the one thing that I think, even if neither of us have children, which we don't, um, that we can appreciate is that there are a lot of people around the country who have that kind of slight concern that they they need childcare, but if they're working, they're basically working to pay for childcare. It is prohibitively expensive. Um, there are lots of barriers and it is a barrier to people getting into work because then the demands placed on you to get the childcare services can be quite extreme. So it's it's brilliant to see that there is a technology solution in the form of, of FCSS that is now available for people. Yeah, absolutely. And and also I think with um with like the rules changing around COVID and, you know, kind of just timely actually, the fact that people are now starting to go back to work and or or have been advised by the government in England anyway, obviously the Scottish work a little bit different to to our own prime minister um boris save skin johnson yeah exactly so i think uh, as and when they do start going back in scotland and you know people need the service it's, it's massive um and technology to have a bit of a we, i guess it's always about oh you know what you're doing for your community and people think about esg or sustainability or you know these sorts of things i think when you're dealing with kind of humans and you're dealing with real life problems and solutions apart from you know can i pay quicker at a checkout or something uh, i think stuff like this is very very good um yeah yeah i mean i've heard lots of people in the industry say look we don't need another app telling us how to get pizza quicker yeah but sue talks about the fact that this is about empowering families and mm. yeah you're right like it it doesn't have to be trying to 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 solve some crazy big issue there are just a lot of families unfortunately in this country in other countries who are struggling rising costs of living um changes in the employment market it's, it's been tough on families and, and unfortunately it might get tougher for a little while so if there are simple solutions out there that are utilizing tech to try mm. to try and help families that is a wonderful thing absolutely and and i think I think it just goes to show that technology can be used away from so many things and not just, yeah. you know, not just, yeah, like that pizza analogy, but just, you know, it, it can be used to help us in our day-to-day -day family lives. And those people that may not actually be able to spend loads and loads of money on, on technology and have, you know, the funky gadgets and, and subscriptions to things, this is something that they can spend money on and this is technology that would actually help them. Um, yeah you know for for their needs yeah what i loved in the interview towards the end she talks about the fact that civtech um had really helped them in terms of the community they registered their their training software which was a vehicle for delivery and that was made possible by by the civtech community but she makes the um point that um tech people think differently to childcare people and, and obviously sue's worked in childcare for a very long time but therefore wonderful to hear how open she is 
to that mm-hmm. disruption. Sometimes you kind of feel that people who maybe are in a legacy field that hasn't been disrupted by technology, they've been in that field for a long time, might be slightly suspicious. And here's someone who's worked in that field for a very long time, embracing technology and the changes that it can make because she realizes the power it's got to transform the sector for the good for, for the good of families. Hmm. And and I think what I think what she's doing is she's making it a little bit you know accessible and cooler and 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 not making you think that oh you know if i'm reaching out for childcare, it, it doesn't mean that i can't do my job properly as a parent or you know i'm not able to kind of look after my kids or whatever it's just about real life examples and bringing in stuff and saying that yeah use technology use technology led decisions um and, and they can help with your childcare. um mm. yeah stuff and look, whilst we're talking about Scotland, we're, we're going to hand over to a couple more interviews in a moment. But um, she makes the point that Scotland is a nice testing ground. In lesser interviews, the, the third interview we'll play you later in the show, Andrew Bone from Dayshape talks about the fact that it's small enough as a, as a region to really have that community feel and for organizations to, to really work together and help each other. And I think that's something that, that maybe is overlooked. Scotland's a massive country. There's a lot of people packed into a very narrow corridor between Glasgow and Edinburgh. And that, that proximity and that size of community is actually something that means it's, it's hyper-connected and, 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 and well interconnected. Hmm. And, and it just kind of, it just helps. It, it not only helps those people within you know kind of providing um for their needs but i mean when when there's loads of people and in terms of just getting her name across and you know kind of people talking and that sort of thing that's that's bound to help i think they said they started in 2019 Mm. as a social enterprise and and obviously now um yeah they're they're a full-on organization so i think yeah like it's just good i like it because it's like when you think of childcare, you think of services like that, you think old school council, town halls, uh, you know, people, you know, like old school type of folk. But the fact that she's doing something using a platform, using technology, I think it's great. Um, yeah. Really, really good. Well, look, we're going we're gonna to play two more interviews for you in today's show. Uh, we're going to take a trip over to, uh, well, just outside Helsinki in Finland uh, before we then come back to Scotland. Um if you are listening in the morning of the 25th of January, I appreciate this might miss the boat for some of you, but I will be going on Instagram on the Harvey Nash UKI. So at Harvey Nash UKI, all one word, on Instagram to do a live vegan haggis cook along at one o'clock GMT. Keisha will probably be on there to take the mick out of me. Oh, gonna- yeah. Yeah. I'll be in the comments. We're going to visit our Scottish office. We're going to have a few tech experts join us. Should be a laugh. So if you're listening on the morning of Burns Night, why not join us on on Instagram? Uh, Apart from that, though, Keish, thanks for your time, mate. No worries. Thanks for having me. And we'll be back next week. So I'm lucky to be joined by Mary uh, from Sidot. I probably pronounced that slightly incorrectly, but you're joining us from Helsinki. How are you? I'm good. Thank you very much. Calling from Espo, actually. The second ah. largest city in Finland uh, after Helsinki. Oh, no. Link- LinkedIn has lied to me. How far apart are they? <laughs> Very close. It's capital area. So, uh, so, so oh. yeah. Hopefully you, forg- you can forgive me for my ignorance. Um, <laughs> nonetheless, how are you this morning? I'm very good. Thank you. Uh, nice, uh, nice snowy um, 
morning here in Finland. Very good. Well, look, I, I really appreciate you giving up some time. Uh, we've got you on the show because you are CEO and co-founder of Sidot, uh, a, a company building SaaS platforms for AI governance and transparency. And even more pertinent to today's episode, uh, you were the Challenge 2 winner at CivTech, um, the, the conference looking at uh, uh, solutions for Scotland. Uh, Sidot, you, you won the... Um, as I said, challenge two, which was about developing AI trust and agency. So look, I, I've, I've obviously kind of given a garbled overview there, perhaps of what you do, but do you want to, to just explain in a bit more detail what SciDot actually does? Yeah, um, maybe we start from the challenge. So so the challenge two that you referred to is really um, around how do we give the citizens of Scotland trust and agency over how AI and algorithms are used in the public sector? And that's uh, that's a very good question and, and not only a question of uh, Scottish government, but also um, any other governments, public organizations, but also uh, enterprises working in the space of AI using artificial intelligence for for um um, making their processes more efficient or building totally new services uh, using AI. And, and um, yeah, what we do with Sida is really to try try to make this super important uh, topic, how to address that, how to, how to address trust and, and make your AI system trustworthy uh, in a way that it's, uh, it's easily approachable by anyone who develops AI. Now, look, forgive me for, for seeking a little bit of clarification here, but it, mm -hmm. when we talk about transparency in AI, are we talking about really clear kind of user cases that people can kind of get their head around? Like, uh, is a system uh, biased if it is using facial recognition systems and perhaps it's the police? Or are we talking about explainability in AI? Are we talking about um, data using data to make low-level decisions to try and streamline a business that then kind of get lost in amongst all of the processes and perhaps you kind of go, well, hang on a minute, what's happening under the hood? Yeah, when we talk about AI governance, we're, we're simply um, talking about all the mechanisms that uh, we need to put in place in order to make that we address all of these questions related to uh, related to the topics that you raised. So, so uh, transparency, uh, explainability, those are, and bias, uh, and how to mitigate biases are, are different aspects into ethical AI uh, space and, and um, uh, the importance of these different aspects of obviously depends on the context where AI is applied and, and uh, sort of questions related to that one. But with our platform, we really hope to help uh, organizations to address these questions in a uh, in a right way and in a systematic way so that uh, anything they do in this space um, considers the right aspects uh, in a way that that uh, allows uh, people stakeholders to to uh, engage and get good understanding about uh, about how these systems work and and uh, what kind of decisions they are doing and and how they have been tested for example against mm. biases so the the, the challenge um the the tagline under the the piece where it was was announced you as winner was which helps companies to build um registers of artificial intelligence systems that are transparent and accountable i would assume therefore that you are working with scottish clients with scottish government now 
Is that correct or, or is it an aspiration to work with Scottish Government? Uh, we are working as we speak, we are working with Scottish Government on, on this topic. So we have a few uh, pilot cases that we are working mm-hmm. uh, together, um, basically putting in place AI governance and, and also creating transparency into these systems uh, for different stakeholders uh, with the Scottish Government team. So. But as we've established at the beginning of this, you're you're based in Finland. Um, are the challenges, therefore, from one government to the next around the world where this is concerned, actually largely the same challenges? I imagine they are, but perhaps not. Um, yeah, we have been working with governments in different parts of uh, part, part of Europe, and and yes, I would say the challenges are very much similar. Uh, in different geographics. Obviously, in this area and applications that are um, created with AI, the problems also, maybe future regulations will vary a little bit uh, depending on the uh, on the on the geographics, but the but the basic uh, big uh, challenges and the approaches are very uh, similar across, uh, across different, uh, geographics. So, so, um, so I would say there is much more common than there are differences. And look, as, as the CEO, as the co-founder of a business, how did you find yourself working with Scotland? I mean, it's not, you know, during the course of a, of a global pandemic, it's not like you can be in Glasgow in Edinburgh kind of pitching necessarily. It might be harder to get on the radar of people who are, who are overseas. How did that come about? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. Um, yeah, probably this was, um, great for us that now, now, now the whole program is, uh, more or less, uh, more or less online. So, so, um, so, so, but, uh, yeah, we, we found actually, uh, Scottish government activities in, uh, or their AI strategy by just like, you know, uh, having a look uh, at what, what is happening around the world in di- these different topics, and we got actually very impressed by the by the work that Scottish government has had been doing uh, in establishing their uh, strategy and and how uh, how um, visible and important topic the whole trust was as part of the uh, strategy. So so it was a uh, that was a starting point, and then when we learned that the uh, civic challenge. Uh, um, came in in place uh then a little bit later half a year later that we had uh connected with scottish government initially um yeah that was uh that was amazing <laughs> great great moment to see that okay now that it's time to actually get uh focus on this topic topic and they are um, looking forward to start working with uh with companies uh, focusing on these topics and exploring together how can we actually operationalize these targets that had been laid down in the in the strategy so no that's that's interesting and it's it's heartening to hear because i suppose through the course of this pandemic whilst we've spoken about the fact that it obviously gives a lot of power to um employees in as much as you can apply to a job anywhere right Mm -hmm. yeah an employee can be quite focused in their search i am looking for x and here come a whole bunch of different searches but if you're the founder of a business and you're trying to work out well who can we work with it might be quite overwhelming kind of suddenly like or heck, heck, where do we even start to try and break this down? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and for us, it was also sort of last confirmation that we we can totally work uh, remotely. So, so our team is also, uh, yeah, spread around uh, 
mostly Europe, but but also in uh, uh, in the North America. So so yeah, everything seems to be working pretty well uh, remotely. <laughs> and look, with regards to the challenge and with regards to CivTech. What what do what does something like that mean to a business like yours? You've been around since 2018, so you've you know growth through through the course of the pandemic. Um, we're perhaps perhaps tentatively hoping that as the year progresses, we we come out of well, not out of the other side, but whatever it is that we kind of come out towards. How does how does something like CivTech help you as a business? Yeah, it's. Um... This is a uh, this is a new area, new domain, and and it's developing uh, companies, enterprises, uh, public sector organizations are uh, really doing a lot of learning uh, at this point of time to to figure out uh, how to address these topics. Uh, also, regulations are taking uh, place and and being planned right now. So so there is a lot of learning happening. So for us, this is. Most importantly, a, an opportunity to learn together with the, with the major client, uh, explore uh, approaches on this one. But we, we we do a lot of co-development with Scottish government, and that's really really having a possibility to uh, develop new features, uh, approaches to address this uh, this challenge hand in hand, uh, piloting right away, uh, testing ideas, testing concepts, and and being able to apply those. Those with a large uh, client, so so uh, it's about collaborative learning, uh, finding good solutions together, validating um, product market fit also uh, with with a major client. Look, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you today. I really appreciate your time and congratulations on that on that challenge to uh, win. Um, if someone is interested, if someone's listening to you, thinking, "Well, oh, hang on, that might that might help," um, mm-hmm. how would they find out more about Sidot or yourself? I think easiest is to navigate to sidot.ai. Uh, That's our uh, address, and um, yeah, they they can uh, book a meeting with us if you want to uh, connect and discuss uh, more. And there are email addresses as well. So, so. and for the sake of clarity, sidot is S A I D O T. Exactly. <laughs> cool. Well, look, thank you very much for your time, Mary. Thank you very much. Thanks, David. A couple of years ago, Michael and Jacob, two friends from London, were both thinking about their consumption and sustainability as a whole. Michael, a professional footballer at the time, realised he had no options when it came to sustainable sportswear. Overconsumption and underuse was all too common. Hilo was born, a sportswear brand fighting for the planet by changing mindsets. They started with a running shoe made with seven natural materials, and the shoe can be recycled at the end of its life. As a company, they've offset their carbon to beyond zero, making them carbon negative. You can find out more about Hilo and support their mission at hiloathletics.com. That's H-Y-L-O. We support the Hilo movement. So the last part of our of our Burns Night special podcast sees us talking to Andrew Bone from Day Shape. How are you, Andrew? I'm very well, thanks, David. I say, I say from day shape, leading day shape. I mean, what, what's your role exactly? Um, well, I still have a few different hats, but yes, uh, CEO and co-founder is my official job title. Um, I'm still fairly hands-on when it comes to the product management, product direction side of things. And I guess over the last few years, I've, I've gradually been able to give away some of my other hats 
to other better qualified people. So, yeah. does does it change? Does you know the the CEO or the co-founder? Is it CEO and co-founder, depending on your audience? Yeah, I mean it's it's CEO and co-founder, but yeah, it it um, certainly the role has evolved over the over time. So we're we're about sixty odd people now, um, but that's gone from something like twenty. If if I went back, not not many, not many years. Um, so it's it's changed a lot over that time. And yeah, one of the good things about that growth is being able to bring in other people who can sort of take on some of the things I used to do. Like I used to be much more hands on in finance. I used to help out a bit more in sales, and some of those things I'm a bit less involved in these days. So look, uh, we've kind of teed up there the the fact that you lead this business. But what what is Dayshape? Yeah, so Dayshape, um, well, firstly, it's a software company. Our vision is to try and improve people's working lives. And specifically, really, we're talking about people who work in, in large professional services firms. Um, so large accountancy firms is our, is our main focus right now, but we're looking to expand into other forms of professional services in future. Um, and if you don't know much about that sector or, or if your listeners haven't really come across it, that much it can be quite a hard place to work so professional services firms have to try and strike the right balance between you know keeping their clients happy keeping their people happy and trying to make a profit as well and quite often it can be their people that is the 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 part of that equation that can get squeezed the most um so and i i know this from my own personal experience as well so uh Dayshape is really setting out to help firms plan and manage all their work more efficiently, more effectively, and also to try and give the the people who work there a far better experience. And that's kind of, I, I suppose, echoed in what it is that that you enjoy most about your own business. You you really do enjoy that that team piece, the value piece, being able to work with people. So I suppose something that enables other firms to do that is yeah. Is actually quite a genuine passion. Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, it's it's been one of the things that I've been most proud of. I guess since we since we started the company, is it's Dayshape is a place where I I believe most people genuinely enjoy working in. Um, and you know, I know that isn't always a given in other workplaces. So, um, people turn up for more than just the paycheck, if you like. Um, so yeah, I think, and I think. I also think that is the way the world's going as well. You know, it's not necessarily good enough in a lot of people's view for uh, a job just to be a a place where you get some cash. You know, people are looking for more fulfillment than that in their careers. Uh, So, yeah, I think we we try and help with that in a small way. So would you describe your business as a Scottish business? Obviously, you are Scottish, um, but I suppose as the pandemic has progressed, kind of where people are based and where that where the yeah. business is based if, and, and sorry if i give some added context one of our you know guests also on today's show that listeners will have already heard um you know it's it's a finnish business working in scotland um and and very much kind of those those borders and definitions mm. are beginning to 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 bleed a little bit i suppose yeah. no i think it's a really interesting question i would say right now the answer would be yes. We are still a Scottish business. Our 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 headquarters is here, um, but as you as you absolutely rightly say, you know we're 
we're far more remote than we ever were. We most people work from home most of the time, although we still do have a physical office. Um, the majority of our commercial team is now based around London and the southeast. We've just hired our first person over in the US as well. So I'd stay at the minute. The center of gravity is is still in Scotland, but I can see that evolving and changing um, over time. And and I don't think. I don't think it, I think the business is really defined by the people who are in it rather than, you know, the country that it's sort of notionally based in. That said, mm-hmm. it is Burns Night. Mm-hmm. We can be a little bit, uh, part, or you can be a little bit partisan in your uh, yeah. affection, I suppose, for Scotland. Why, why is Scotland a good place to start a tech company? Um, it was, it was really, well, I would say the first thing that's great about it is that it's, small enough to have a, a quite a tightly connected community so um especially within glasgow and edinburgh you know you go to networking events you you, you sort of see the same faces you, you kind of it's easy to build up a network and it's easy to kind of get to know people who might be able to help you there's also a lot of willingness out there from from the government from organizations like like codebase where we're based um to try and help grow the ecosystem so there's quite a lot of focus on on the ecosystem and the scottish ecosystem as a thing um and i think that leads to you know there being more support for companies um and i also think just there's really good talent pool here as well you know there's there's the big unis turning out lots of good folks um it gets more challenging got to say when you get to the experienced end because there haven't been as many big tech unicorns as you would have had in london for example to to create that executive talent but um but there's still a lot of talent out there and it's and it's a great place to live and work generally so you know we're we can attract people that's interesting you say about you know that there's not many companies to create the big exec talent Mm. i suppose that's double-sided because is i don't know it's kind of there's a challenge there that you've that you've articulated, but I suppose there might be a flip side of that that there is less churn in the market. There is maybe slightly less competition. Whilst competition is good, yeah, less I, competition from from in terms of attrition. I think you're probably right. Yeah, I think it's probably a bit of a, a double edged thing. I, I guess I was just meaning that you know you do see in the in the very large ecosystems, you see companies grow, they get a great exit, and then you see the founders you know, and other senior execs, like taking some of that exit cash and reinvesting it back in new businesses mm. and, and sort of bringing on the next generation. And that has happened in, in Scotland to some extent, but maybe just not as much as, as it could do in, in other places. I, I did hear before the pandemic that if you were a Scottish founder and you wanted to try and tap into investor cash, the kind of the, the modus operandi was getting on a train down to London to try and do that. Is, is that changed a little bit over the last couple of years where people have have been on on screens and it doesn't really matter where they're sat. I, I think so. Yeah, I think that has changed. Well, I think that's changed loads of aspects of doing business. And and actually, my answer about why it's a good place to to start a business probably would have been stronger a couple of years ago because now I don't think it matters as much as it maybe used to. Um, but but that's yeah. There's pros and cons to that. So so absolutely, I think one of the advantages from from my perspective is yeah for things like fundraising 
it, it's certainly far more efficient if nothing else you know you could have six different zoom calls in the course of a day with different investors and you're not trailing all over the country or in or internationally perspective potentially so yeah it, that certainly made things easier um and maybe broken down some barriers a bit mm. Well, look, we've been talking about CivTech a lot on this episode. Um, Whilst I know that's not something that you've been involved in this year, um, there's a lot of organizations there who are, you know, they're they're at the beginning of their journey. Some people listening might be thinking about starting their own journey. What advice would you have as as someone who's founded a business in Scotland um, and has grown it, as you said, to 60 people? Um, You know, what what areas should people be looking at in particular? Um, Well, I I guess at the start, I introduced myself as co-founder and I would say at least for us um so I started the business with a a good friend of mine um Dr Alistair Andrew and I think it's just a huge help having an an extra person in the early days and you're and you've got a team from day one I think it's obviously it has to be the right co-founder otherwise it can go disastrously but uh, that would be my first piece of advice to anyone would be if you can find the right co-founder to work together on, you're you're going to be stronger than the sum of your parts. I would say, um, so that that was a big help for us. Um, the other thing that, like I mentioned, there there's loads of support out there in terms of incubators, of which Sevtech is a good example. But there's there's lots of other ones as well, and there are actually more in more initiatives being launched by the government, kind of almost on a monthly basis. So. There, there is plenty of support out there. One, one in particular, I would just give a, a little shout out to because it was really instrumental in our journey was um, the, the Scottish Edge Award. And it's a pitching competition. And unlike a, a lot of government grant funding, it's very light touch from an, an entrepreneurial perspective. You know, deliver a three minute pitch, go through a couple of rounds and you could walk away with a check for, I think it's 100 these days um in our day was uh, just in inverted commas uh 50 but that still gave us that that initial 50k gave us the the confidence to actually make our first couple of hires and bring in it and start growing a team so it was absolutely fundamental so there are there's really really good support out there so i would just really lean on that there are also uh, very supportive people in the community like the angel investment community is really strong in Scotland and and many of the people in that group aren't just looking to invest their money they're also looking to help in other ways they you know they do have a bit of that genuine um desire to give back and that's really strong so yeah anyone anyone looking to start I would say just really look for that help because I think they would find it in lots of different places and look, as a last question, if we come back to day shape for a moment, what what trends do you see affecting the market at the moment? Yeah, well, I think it 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 really a lot of it flows from that change in working patterns to be working from home a lot more, um, and that doesn't just apply to you know tech companies; that's applied to professional services firms who we sell to. So, I think that has a few knock on implications. Um, Firstly, and this is a good one for us, it breaks down the silos geographically between, you know, you might have previously had a, a an M&A team in Edinburgh and an M&A team in Manchester and one in London and so on, and they wouldn't necessarily share 
their staff that much. They would be quite locally focused. Whereas now everyone's realized that's a bit ridiculous. You don't need to do that. You, you, you could be far more efficient sharing people across. And that and the reason that's good for us is obviously Dayship is a tool that helps them to do that. So that's one factor I would say is, is changing where there's a move towards those larger thinking about larger talent pools and not caring so much about where people are, are physically based. Um, and then also, again, it's not particular to professional services, but it, it is affecting them, is the the widely discussed sort of war for talent um, and, and great resignation stuff that is affecting those sectors. And, and people, new graduates coming out of university have got a lot of options of where they might go now. You know, maybe they want to go and work for a big Silicon Valley company, they want to go and work for a tech startup or whatever, the, the brand of the big professional services firms, while still very strong, isn't maybe as uniquely strong as it would have been in the past. So, yeah, they're, they've got to try and attract people. And I think the, the employee proposition that they are offering is changing a, a little bit. In fact, some of the large accounting firms are now you know, amongst the most progressive companies you'll find in terms of how they are talking about work and, you know, the the way they want people to engage with them and the firm isn't necessarily the nine to five um job that it would have been in the past. So so yeah, there's there's more competition there for that talent and that is impacting on their offering as an employer, but also the technology and things that they are using as well. They they want that's all part of their employer brand. So yeah, that, that again is a little bit of a tailwind for us. Well, look, it's, it's been fascinating to chat to you. Really interesting to get that perspective. And it sounds like the, the business has has done well throughout the last couple of difficult years. So I hope that continues to be the case. And uh, yeah, thanks for your time. Thanks very much, David. Cheers.